0: On
1: fire. You know i got a smoking hot body. What should
0: I do with it? My blood is boiling. It makes me want to grow and shake my pain. Here I go!
2: Welcome to Laps Gamer Radio, I'm your host Mark, Overwatch Hamer, and this is your weekly Laps News and Overwatch update for the week commencing 6th of June. Tonight we'll chatter a little bit about Overwatch and other games that aren't Overwatch that everyone else has been playing recently, and we'll touch on a couple of news stories that probably won't be Overwatch related, but then again might be. On today's episode I'm joined by regular LGRT members Kevin Stewart, and joining us tonight from beautiful Seattle, it's Ryan Heyman. Hello. Good evening, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. How is everyone? Good.
3: Fine. Warm.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Doing all right? Good. Yeah, it's really muggy here, and I'm horribly hungover, so apologies in advance, listeners. <laughs> so you get hosting duties.
0: Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, we've had a few listener questions. Uh, first two coming in from Pilch Reed, at Pilch Reed on Twitter, and he says, How many bananas is a bunch? And also, how many sausages can you eat in one sitting? Who fancies tackling those important questions?
4: Bananas and a bunch is five. Mm. Is that official? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> is that not? <laughs> if you sound authoritarian whenever you say it, it's official. <laughs> yeah, so whenever
1: I hear a word that stands in for a number, I always just assume 12, you know, like dozen or something. Yeah. So, I, But 12 <laughs> bananas, I think, is more than, than you'd get that, on a bunch of bunches
2: up yeah. the store, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, it would
2: be. Someone get... um. Someone we'll get Boris Johnson on the line so we can get one of his paranoid EU fantasies about directives on how many bananas can be in a bunch.
1: Now is he feeling like he's getting uh, getting shortchanged by his local market or something? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, possibly. Actually, yeah. I'm that looking to these vi-
1: sure. video game guys on the radio. They say five or six, and you gave me four.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we are the official. So what, so what are we saying then? Five, five, five six, five, bananas five, in a bunch, that's about right? Anything five. less than that, yeah, any less than that, and you've been cheated. And the same with the sausages. <laughs> in in one sitting, any less than five in one sitting. Or how about that scene from
1: the beginning of uh, Donkey Kong Country where he goes into the cave and it's just a big pile of bananas. That's how much I consider <laughs> to be. That is a bunch of bananas, right? <laughs> that's, that's a bunch, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't think my local Sainsbury's would agree, but there you go. <laughs> uh, as to how many sausages you can eat in one sitting, I once consumed six bratwursts in buns in one sitting at a barbecue and then got monstrous meat sweats and had to go and have a lie down for a while so (laughs) how old were you at the time i think uh i think it was 22 23 that sounds like um, a six-year-old decision to make yeah it does yeah (laughs) (laughs) alcohol-fueled barbecue i thought yeah i can have six (laughs) breakfasts that's probably too many Mm. so i'll say three is How many you should probably be eating maximum in one sitting?
4: Yeah, I'd probably say three or four, depending on yeah. the size of the sausages to start with. If it's a barbecue, might be able to squeeze in five, but no, six is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> that was a silly thing to do.
2: Yeah, and then those, they were like the, you know, breakfasts. Like the yeah, big, they're fat, huge ones, yeah. 90 yeah. yeah, like something percent pork content. For as
3: long yeah. as your arm. Well, no,
2: they weren't, <laughs> they weren't quite that big, but like <laughs> they were fat sausages. <laughs> Never again, I'm feeling ill just thinking about it. To be honest. <laughs> Uh, next question comes in from Mike Dixon at TestTube27 on Twitter, and he says, which
4: games did DLC right and which got it wrong? Who wants to have a go at this first? Ones that got it right, um, I don't know, something like Bioshock with Minerva's Den is mm. one of the obvious ones that comes up. I'm trying to think of some other ones that got it right. So so Witcher are 3 recently
1: yeah. has been causing yeah. a lot of... Yeah. Uh, hmm. drawing a lot of attention in its way because of its DLC. The, uh, the From Software, the Souls games, have had... Uh, pretty much a 100% batting average for their DLC. Mm-hmm. Um, Grand
3: Theft Auto. Well, hmm.
2: yeah, they're all what I'd consider, like, they're, they're more in line with what I would have considered a classic uh, expansion pack from the old PC days, yeah, yeah. Mm. where it's, like, a really substantial add-on to um, to a game. Like, uh, Bethesda are usually quite good with this, with their, with their add-ons, m- most of the time, for Fallout and games like that. And then also at the other end, they're at the bad end as well with things like horse armor. <laughs> I mean, that started the whole roll of like really, really awful, yeah. like tiny little bits of overly priced DLC. But yeah, anything that's got like a, a substantial like expansion pack, The Witcher 3 is a great example yeah. because it's like the, I think the season pass at the moment is nineteen ninety nine 99 sterling. I don't know how much it is in dollars. Yeah, same. Um... And that's about, you get about, what, 50 hours worth of gameplay, I reckon? 40 to 50 hours out, I reckon, over the course of uh, Hearts of Stone and Blood and Wine. Yeah. I reckon so.
1: And then also Nintendo. Recently, they just kind of got into the DLC game uh, with Mario Golf on 3DS. And then since then, they've Mm -hmm. been just kind of hitting it out of the park with uh, Mario Kart 8 and Super Smash Bros., yeah, I'd imagine that there are others, but yeah, those two in particular are have, have been stellar.
2: Yeah, I I love both of the uh, the DLC packs for Mario Kart Eight. They're worth it alone just for the um, Animal Crossing track, but <laughs> the whole package together was was brilliant. And it was, I think, it was eleven pounds for the pair mm. of them. Yeah, they yeah. were. I got yeah. on Wii U.
4: Still to get on that sort of.
2: Yeah, and it's a it's a bargain.
3: I've got to say, the thing is as well with these, they're looked on as part of the essential add-ons. They're not even looked at as DLC. It's just part of the game, you know? Yeah. When you've started playing Mario Kart, the first thing you think is, right, I need these extra tracks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely.
1: I think the dangers that a lot of uh, companies fall into with DLC is after we started viewing DLC as like a part of, like you have to sell DLC to make back the development budget,
0: Mm.
1: And so a lot of a lot of games will I think put too much money into development knowing that they'll be able to sell back extra content later and so they're not pitching a $60 game, they're pitching an 80 or $90 game and, you know, operating under mm-hmm. the assumption that we're going to be able to make this back because, you know, we have DLC down the line as well. And so when something comes out like, uh, you know, Homefront the Revolution that a lot of people just don't really pick up on, they, they stand to lose a lot more than if they had just, you know, created a $60 game that can, you know, fail on $60 merits potentially.
2: Yeah. And then lots of, of, well, it's not to say lots, but it's starting to become more popular now where games will give out free DLC and then fund the development of that through cosmetic Mm -hmm. microtransactions. Destiny has kind of taken a path down that route with um, being able to buy emotes and things like that and then giving uh, giving small expansions and things like that for free. And um, Overwatch, um, (laughs) with the... uh, you can buy the loot boxes that you get at the end of when you level up and then they're going to give all the actual maps and the characters away for free uh, which i think is is a is a, a great model um in comparison to poor old battleborn which does have a season pass and nobody is playing i'm pretty sure i saw someone say the other week that on pc and this was like a peak time peak american hours on steam there were more people playing a game i don't know what it's called but it's a game in which you role play as someone live streaming minecraft (laughs) there were more people playing that than there were playing battleborn so i don't know whether they're going to sell much of their their dlc and it, it became a real problem with games like call of duty and battlefield and games like that where the initial game cost you know cost a good 60 i mean like when i bought battlefield 4 and then bought battlefield for premium, the, the, the full thing together was close to £120. And I feel like I got, I got you know, £120 worth of game out of it. But it's this whole splitting the player base. Right. So that people yeah. who pick up the vanilla game won't necessarily pick up the next map pack, and then they can't play with the people who do have the next map pack, and so on and so forth. And I've, I've never liked that practice, really. But some, any game that adds, like, a substantial expansion... To a game um, that actually feels like it has some worth, um, and yeah, like like you're saying, Ryan, about how the it's a lot of it has to do with with inflated budgets for games and them having to make their money back by selling these DLCs. And then you look at a company like CD Projekt Red that's got, I think, their their total staff number is about a hundred people, mm-hmm. um, or something like that, not much more than a hundred. Um, and I think it's the same with Bethesda as well. Like they don't have a particularly big group of of developers working on games and so they can make these games at a reduced budget and then they don't have to sell DLC and so they can make the DLC worth it so that people will buy it anyway um, rather than feel like they they have to to be able to join in with other people.
1: I think one of the dangers when you get into marketing DLC is that it it kind of pits the developers against the audiences. And so they're always mm. kind of working against each other. Like the developers need to push the audiences to spend their money because they need more money. And the audiences are, uh, it becomes like a game almost to see how much you can get away with without paying the developers. Uh, because, mm. you know, losing money is a punishment in a way. And so in these systems of, uh, you know, operant conditioning and everything that games operate under, you're essentially, you know, the your opponent is the person who's taking money from you. And so mm. by doing acts that can be construed as being aggressive, like, you know, cutting you off from your friends because you don't have the newest Call of Duty maps, that is like a almost like an act of war <laughs> against the yeah. player. Whereas something mm. that is, uh, you know, um, cosmetic upgrades like you would see in in overwatch or like a pre-order bonus for hitman or something the that's more of like a collaborative Mm. collaborative exercise between the player and the developers who are kind of working together to provide more uh value for everybody involved
2: yeah i mean i take a less generous view of what Squeenix is doing with hitman um despite the fact that i didn't actually end up buying the full game Uh, (laughs) that feels more like trying to fund the development of the game in progress it feels like almost like a um, green light or early access sort of model where they are saying you can buy this the 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 uh, you know the episodes in installments or you can pay uh, a reduced amount of like 40 pounds or whatever for the full thing and we'll give the episodes as they're done later on the line you don't know it's the same model with um they like the Telltale games, which is why I mm-hmm. tend to wait until all of the episodes are out before I buy the whole lot, because I want to know that when the full game is done, it's good. And uh, that's an approach they're taking with the Final Fantasy VII remake as well, isn't it? I think they're, they're going to be uh, yeah. doing it episodically. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about that.
1: Yeah, I, I think if you only had one episode of Hitman, then you'd have a pretty substantial game that you could play for hours and hours and hours. But if you only oh, had yeah, one sure. third of Final Fantasy VII... I don't know how much you can really do with that. You're not going to get a real conclusion to that experience.
2: No, no. I mean, yeah, it does work better with with Hitman than it would with some other games. But I just worry about that sort of model becoming more prevalent.
3: The bits of downloads that I don't like, the bits of extra DLC that really tick me off is exclusives, store exclusives. You know, when you're getting something like Game or Target or whatever, you know, where it's buy this from here and you get this gun and you can... 10 out of 10 times I've done that, I've never actually used the extra DLC stuff. Mm. You know, the the extra gun or whatever is absolute ball bag and you just never <laughs> use it.
2: Yeah, it's the same with pre-order bonuses as well. Yeah. Where you'll get, like you'll get like a, oh you get this exclusive piece of equipment like they did this in Destiny a lot where um, pre-order the game pre-order like uh, the legendary edition of the Taken King and you'll get the founders weapon pack or something like that and I, I didn't get it myself but a couple of my friends did and the weapons you end up getting uh, last you for about half an hour and then you find better equipment so it was pointless <laughs> it was pointless anyway our next question comes in from Stuart Cullen at Fury AC3 and he says with Video Game Nation being cancelled After just four series Is there a place for video games on TV Slash in mainstream media I don't know what Video Game Nation
4: was Is anyone going to educate me I'm guessing, I think I saw the tweets from Stuart Video Game Nation was a Program that was run I think by A Jinx TV and was shown on Challenge um, The digital channel over here So I hadn't actually seen it myself But that's what it was And yeah it is a little bit sad that well, for a start, that no bigger channel than Challenge, um, had actually picked up a games program yeah. and was willing to broadcast it. But yeah, the fact that after four series, they've obviously decided that the ratings just aren't high enough to keep going. On Challenge. Yeah, on Challenge, yeah. Challenge, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, there's plenty of programming on the internet, and so really, like, we're not starved for that type of entertainment. Or even for uh, critical stuff. And so, you know, the folks over at Mm. like uh, Polygon and Destructoid and just independent folks on YouTube like do a a bang up job of producing great visual video game content, trying to transition it to TV removes the interactivity which is really the only thing that makes games special in the first place and so it would primarily have to be like a news source which i think the internet's better suited for anyways and so the the real advantage Mm -hmm. that tv would have is connecting with audiences who aren't as kind of plugged into the internet sources or who don't want to do a lot of the kind of hunting the news down themselves but yeah, I don't really see it as being a tremendous loss necessarily
2: No I mean like we had Games Master on TV back in the day Was that Channel 4? Yeah Channel, that was yeah Channel 4 awesome. was Games Master yeah.
4: <laughs> Bad influence then was ITV with um, Andy Crane and Violet Berlin
2: Yeah yeah. But like that was in an era before the internet When you could try it Where you could kind of get away with it Yeah A little bit Yeah um, yeah, these days, like like Ryan was saying, like the, the the quality stuff that you want to watch and the less quality stuff as well, unfortunately, is all on YouTube. But then, like the stuff that I like to watch on YouTube, like I'm a big fan of um, Super Bunny Hop's channel on YouTube, mm-hmm. and he gets maybe maximum three hundred thousand views on a video. Yeah, and that's just not enough. I mean, he usually gets about a hundred thousand or slightly less than that, and that's just not enough to sustain a show. On a, on a TV network, even a fringe digital TV channel. And some of like the, the bigger stuff, like the, the YouTube live stream is like, um, um, what's his name? PewDiePie. PewDiePie. Yeah. And stuff like that. Like that works on YouTube. Uh, I don't see the appeal myself, but it, it works on YouTube and I don't think it would work on TV. People have tried to do some slightly fringer stuff like, um, Rab Florence and, um, I can't remember the other fella's name who did video guiding uh, well they did Consulvania back in the day and then video guiding on BBC Scotland they're back doing video guiding again on BBC Scotland in some format we're not sure whether it's on TV or not but it's on the the BBC Scotland YouTube channel and Charlie Brooker had um, Gameswipe yeah Gameswipe that was it yeah Uh, and that ran they had a few episodes of that, like one season of that, I think. And I think maybe that could possibly exist as a as a, like a series of seasons if Charlie Brooker wasn't busy writing loads of good TV shows as well. Mm, that would be um, hilarious. Yeah, because because that show was really good. And then he does like the odd one-offs, like uh, was it how video games changed the world? Yeah, um, that countdown of the, the the best video games. And it it works every now and then, but I just don't think there's really a place for and it's odd because the audience for video games is massive but it's just not really covered i mean even like bbc's tech show click on uh, on the bbc news channel don't really cover games very often and yet film shows will mm. you know you get film show the bbc's got film 2000 and blank that's been running mm. for forever yep and um Mark Kermode uh, is on uh, BBC News everything. 24 every, every week. Yeah, Mark Kermode's on everything, talking about movies and video games. Are starting to reach the point where the audience for them is probably as big as uh, at least on, amongst younger generations as is for films. But I, I don't. I just think there's no place for them on TV. It's just it's an it'll be an internet thing. I think from now on.
3: The thing is, if you do actually want to watch something about content or some news, I mean, as tough as it seems, you've got the IGN app on the PlayStation. You've probably got yeah. something similar on the Expo, and I don't know because I don't own one. Yeah. Um, but I'm imagining that's the way that most people would access their content. You know, let's face it, when you're a gamer, you're playing games, you're not really watching programs about games.
2: Yeah, and I mean, the, the the quality of content coming out from some of these smaller streams like Super Bunny Hop and people like that, and then the bigger gaming news uh, networks, GameSpot, IGN, Giant Bomb, Polygon, they are putting out really, really good videos as well. So we don't mm. really
4: need it on TV, to be honest. I'm just thinking it's interesting there that Stuart actually brought it up to do with mainstream media and not just TV, mm. um, particularly with him working on The Scottish Sun. I think certainly... Mm games reviewing and reporting can still exist in a print media. Yeah. I think yeah. just because TV changes so much and so quickly, um, it's mm. harder yeah. to appeal to such a large audience. Yeah, it's much more fluid. Yeah. Yeah. The, the range of games that are available. Uh, yeah, and you, in, could, in, in, like, print, in print media, you've got the choice of, well, you actually either read the article or you just skip over it and um, if mm. it's not of uh, mm. any interest to you.
2: And print media has been in decline for for a, a number of years, and yet newspapers like you know, like the Scottish Sun and like uh, the, the Guardian, always has really good uh, games coverage, and they've got some some fantastic writers over there, like Keith Stewart. There is a place for it in popular media. I just, I just don't think there's um, there's a space for it on on television, really, necessarily. Mm maybe some wa- I don't know I don't think it would ever happen where like t- uh, like television channels in this country at least uh, and possibly America would start showing League of Legends tournaments on TV and things like that we're not <laughs> we're not South Korea but uh, yeah I think that the internet is where that will stay for the foreseeable future
4: yeah I think if they were going to try and do it on TV again they're going to have to go down the sort of more anarchic route the way bits did on late night channel 4 but then even those sort of programs don't really exist anymore on late night channel 4
2: so yeah i think just just there's enough content out there on youtube i mean it seems these days that the vast majority of youtube or maybe i'm just going by my youtube subscriptions but (laughs) the vast majority of youtube is video game content and most of it's good
1: and a lot of people who are making decisions for television grew up Mm in television like that's the media that they chose to focus on because that's their career and so when it comes to cross media stuff like that's why you know music has had such a troubled history with television you know it had a kind of glory period for a while but since then it's not been all that stupendous and um and mm. you know video games as well the people who are in charge of making decisions for tv don't know anything about games and so they're really kind of operating from a maybe stereotype position of what gamers will like yeah
2: yeah there's there's not a lot of people out there like jeff Keeley who can kind of straddle both worlds comfortably right our next question comes from video game dog art at revitar on twitter and he says would you like to be drawn as a video as video game characters you lovely bunch and who would you be <laughs> trevor phillips
3: have you seen me do you know who i am
2: yeah if trevor phillips was an industrial dj and liked his port then yes
0: yes.
2: (laughs) i could definitely see that yeah
1: you know that i've actually responded Uh, to a call for action recently from a studio here in seattle that was calling for people to just have their faces photographed for um video game use And so I'll be going in at some point and, uh, you know, getting all clean shaven and then sitting in front of bright lights for an hour or so. And so it's not the same thing as me being in a video game, but uh, that counts.
3: No people recognize you. No, no,
1: (laughs) no, not about that, though. I'd love to do some voice work, though. Like, that would be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. If I was going to pick a video game character, like, just trying to think of one that I'd even remotely closely resemble. you have a lot. Of, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I've I haven't got I well, I've got a beard and mustache but I'm not losing the beard just for that. But um <laughs> I've got a, you know, quite sizable beard and not a lot of hair, so I'm going to go for the huntsman from uh uh Oh yeah.
3: Yep, that would work. And I do
2: I do wear a lot of uh, plaid shirts as well. Yeah, there was a
1: character in The Walking Dead 500 Days that looked a lot like me. I kind of took a few screenshots oh, yeah. while I was playing that through, like,
2: eh, yeah. <laughs> Did you, have you got one at all?
4: I'd have to go for possibly Gordon Freeman, or hey, hey, at guys. the other end of the scale, <laughs> Gone Gone from uh, Super Monkey Ball Adventure. <laughs>
2: So my good friend Andy Palmer, whose uh, wedding I was at on Saturday, uh, at Remalaptar on uh, Twitter, uh, a message to say, Biggest regrets. A series or even a genre which you never played enough of and maybe left it too late to try and get into. For me, it's fighting games. Always intrigued me, but as a man who has just turned 30, feel time has well and truly passed me for now. I feel his pain on when it comes to fighting games. I used to play a lot of Street Fighter in arcades back when I was a kid and didn't play any for ages. And then one of my friends who is very good at fighting games convinced me to drop quite a lot of money on Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 and a fight stick. And then within... I had a couple of hours, I'd realized I was absolute garbage at that game, when I was getting <laughs> trounced every single match. It's a online, hard one to start with. I haven't gone back since. Yes, yeah, I, yeah. I've since learned that I probably should have picked something with a, a slightly, you know, easier difficulty curve, something easy to get into. I'll just stick with Smash Brothers. That'll do for me when it comes to fighting games. That's <laughs> well good. Yeah, uh, Ultimate so Marvel
1: 40. is a tricky one as well because it doesn't have offline single matches against the CPU which is Mm. uh, you could play the arcade mode and you could play the training mode but yeah there's no way to just have a single match with the cpu which is ludicrous
2: yeah i I remember trying Skullgirls as well when that Mm. came out on 360 Mm -hmm. and that had a really really good tutorial which taught you like the basics the very very basics of fighting game and some um, advanced stuff as well gameplay yeah, but I was rubbish at that as well. I just, uh, I think it's the same. I think it's the same problem I have with like character action games, like the the, the Platinum games and the Devil May Cry's of this world. Mm. That I'm just, I just can't remember, or I can't seem to be able to input smoothly those combos. Mm, so the um, muscle memory. Yeah, yeah, I just don't have that muscle memory. So uh, when it yeah,
1: comes to <laughs> fighting games, for me, I. I don't like the ones where you have to memorize long strings of attacks because I do like the jump yeah. between characters and, you know, it keeps more variety that way. And I don't like having to, you know, input everything perfectly and so my compromise is playing the uh, Soul Caliber games because they've always okay. been a little bit more kind of like mm-hmm. based on mo- maintaining your momentum and positioning yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have one yeah. button that will attack with, you know, this hand and another weapon that I'll attack with you know this hand. and And so it's not as much about memorizing combos as it is about like locational awareness of yourself in the 3D space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's probably a good place to start for people who are looking to get into the genre.
3: And Voldo is excellent on that as well. <laughs> <laughs> He's so crazy.
2: Yeah, that might be one I might have to look into because it's it's something I'd like to be able to get into because I, I, I appreciate it from a distance. I'll watch footage mm-hmm. from Evo and another fighting game competitions and be like, wow, that looks incredible. I wish I could do that, but I don't know. I've just never sat down for long enough. I don't have the patience to bash my head against a brick wall long enough. Uh, to to get good at them. I'd say Soul Calibur 4 is probably a good place to start. Okay. Mm. Soul Calibur 4. Also,
1: that has an amusing feature in where uh, it has a pretty robust character creator with some uh, pretty absurd stuff in there as well, which is lots of fun. Um, So I've made, you know, all sorts of like Solid Snake and Captain Falcon and fun characters like that. But uh, it also has, (laughs) as you're selecting characters on the character select screen, there is a box that basically says just like, make me a random character out of nowhere. And yeah. it just throws together like a random assortment of all the different pieces that it has in its uh, in its character creator thing. And so there are some truly surprising moments that come from that. Like once I was fighting against this, uh, uh, you know, this randomly generated character ended up bashing her head so much that the, the helmet that she was wearing broke and this giant green afro broke out <laughs> like that's a huge <laughs> twist to pack into the last 30 seconds of this fight. <laughs>
2: I uh, I did have a bit of joy remember, with Super Street Fighter 4 on the 3DS, but I think that was mainly that the, you could map some of the mm. moves that had difficult inputs to the, to the four buttons on the touchscreen. So mm. you could just cheat and just press a button, and they'd pull off that move. <laughs> <laughs> but I always felt a little bit like cheating.
3: For me, it's any game that requires any sort of motor skills, any sort of reflexes, and... <laughs> Anything so most that, games. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anything that requires me to drive because I'm always too drunk to. <laughs> so just basically any games. I, I'm, I'm good with tactical stuff. You know, I can play Tropico and Civilization and stuff like that quite happily because that waits for me. But that's it. Yeah.
2: As long as you don't stray into like the, the world of like Starcraft and things like that where you have to be able to up your actions per minute to be able to compete online with some of the better players. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I can't do that anymore. That's, that's, that's a genre that's, that's passed me by now. Well, not passed me by because I used to play a lot of it, but I've kind of left uh, for you for rich- dead. <laughs> yeah. It has basically. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I last tried to play StarCraft 2 Wings of Liberty online before um, Heart of the Swarm came out and I I was getting, I was at the bottom of the Bronze League and getting absolutely trounced in most games and I realised that I used to be quite good at those but I just don't have the speed to be able to play them anymore (laughs) Okay, moving on to what we've been playing over the past week or so. Uh, Overwatch. (laughs) Overwatch. Yeah, Overwatch. (laughs) I'll leave that till later. I'll I'll let you guys get in a word in Edgeways first. Stuart, do you want
4: to start us off? Yeah, I can start off. Over the past couple of weeks, well, I missed a a show or two and what have you, and then I was away on holiday, so I don't have a huge... Well, I've been playing little bits and pieces of a variety of games. Um, Mm. I've been doing little bits and pieces of my 16 and 16 challenge, so I've been playing a little bit of Bioshock, a little bit of Doom 2, a little bit of Advance Wars, etc., Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the other ones, but this week I have mostly been playing Splatoon. Yay! Uh, Yay! <laughs> which, which was, was sitting ready for me coming back from my holidays, and <laughs> I have been really enjoying it. It that was, was so good. yeah. It was developed <laughs> by Nintendo EAD, um, published by Nintendo. Format on the Wii U. Release date on the 29th of May 2015. Um, now I'm getting into it late, and it's what nearly a year um, after it was actually released. Just over a year. But the people still playing online is amazing. Um, yeah you're usually in a game within a minute or so, and that's a full four v four team based. So it's and it's just the three minute matches is just so quick. If you're doing rubbish in a match, the next one you'll probably be doing all right. and mm. uh, it's there's a nice variety of weapons. there's all the different wardrobe um, outfits that you can change um, to vary your skills and things like that. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's just a, such a joy to play. So, and there's uh, the um, the Splatfests as well, which pop up every now and then.
2: They're always yes, great
4: fun to get involved in. There is one on the 11th and 12th. Now I'll miss a little bit of the 11th, so I'm hoping to get playing that as my first Splatfest on part of the Sunday, so, I am. Uh, mm. so that'll be good fun. And there's a new update dropping this week sometime as well, I think yeah. with a variety of new weapons and other bits and pieces. Uh, so the fact that all of that has been free and Nintendo have been supporting that so well, more than a year now after um, it was actually released, is fantastic.
2: That game was an uh, was a, was a revelation. You, I, I can't describe how, how fun that game is. It's just really great fun to play and it's beautiful and colourful and, and the, the the music is incredible and the fact that Nintendo had never made a game like this before and then made a game that's, I don't know, you know Nintendo... First-party titles usually have a sort of there's a stamp of quality. You know that you're going to get a decent mm. game, but I never expected it to be this good. And it's 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 incredible. I absolutely love Splatoon. Have you played that one at all, Ryan?
1: Uh, just briefly. I've I've not bought it mm. myself. Yeah, would love to, but it just refuses to come down in price as Nintendo games do.
4: <laughs>
3: yes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's quality for you.
4: Yeah, I think over here it's dropped down to about £16 or so. Mm. Um, I got lucky. The Tesco's were doing their last boost event. Um, so actually, they had it on their website for 28 but because of the boosts, then I got it for half price um, oh, nice. for £14 using vouchers. So that worked mm. out quite nicely. So mm. I never actually technically spent any money on it. It was <laughs> no, even better.
2: Mine <laughs> was a, a pack-in with, uh, with my Wii U when I got it. Um, yeah. I same here. I, I got a pack in... Yeah, we got the same one, didn't we? Um, yeah, we Mario did. Mario Kart and Splatoon. And over those first few weeks, I ended up playing more Splatoon than Mario Kart, and I never thought that would be the case at all. No. Like, it's it's an incredible game. And yeah, Nintendo have supported it so well uh, since it came out with... Because it came out with a bit of a dearth of content. There wasn't a huge number of maps mm. or weapons, but it's just been supported regularly for so long love it, absolutely love it
4: the other game I've been playing has been Space Grunt on Android it was developed by Orange Pixel um, which is actually a one man um, Dutch company Pascal Bestebroer. I don't know whether I'm saying that right I'm not sure published by Orange Pixel and it was released on the 3rd of February 2016 Orange mm. Pixel are one of those companies that I always see as a sort of a mark of good uh, whenever I'm looking at Android games They have done things like Gunslugs and Space Grunts and I think there's a handful of other ones and all of them have been really really good. Space Grunts itself is a randomly generated dungeon that you try and make your way through. Um, It's actually turn based so you move and then the aliens move and there's three different sort of classes of character that you can play as a variety of weapons and a variety of sort of tech updates and things that you can actually pick up as you're making your way through each dungeon is separated up into a at least sort of three or four little mini levels or floors. And then there's a larger section. um, I think there's about six of those. I've only ever got to like the second sort of level or so, but it's just so much fun. Mm. And uh, it's very sort of little 8 bit graphics and everything. And it's also available on Steam. So I'm hoping that that's going to come down a little bit in the forthcoming Steam sale Mm. because I think that would be really good as playing it on PC as it is playing it on mobile. It just has that sort of feel about it that it would be good on whatever you're playing it on. So it's available on iOS as well. And the last game that I've been playing um, was actually on Saturday night there um, just before I hooked up for the call for Lee and to do a little bit of testing and bits and pieces um, for the podcast. I was sitting playing One Finger Death Punch uh, just because it's such a quick it's such, just a quick game to get into. I knew you could run it in windowed mode, so I could look at, um, mm. keep an eye on Skype and stuff as well. And it is so good for laps gamers. It came out on the Xbox 360 originally, um, as part of their indie arcade, um, as far as I know. Uh, developed by Silver Dollar Games, published by Silver Dollar Games, and Mobirix on mobile, so it's available on um, Android and possibly iOS, and was released on the 3rd of March 2014 on PC. All it is is you're a stick man um, in the centre of the screen and enemies, um, more stick men come from left and right to attack you and you basically use two buttons, uh, one to punch left, one to punch right and you just try and take down the waves and waves as they come towards you but it is just so good and mechanically sound it mm-hmm. is just fantastic and even the graphics I say stick man but there is enough detail put into the backgrounds etc and um, everything else is so well animated mm-hmm. um, if some of the abilities and things that you can pick up and activate um, sort of clear screens or go into like a, almost a bullet time sort of motion and things like that mm. and uh, yeah if you've got a gamepad and a PC or even still old Xbox 360 if it's still available on that go and pick it up it is just so good The UI, whenever you're making your way around the level, the actually pick levels on PC is a little bit iffy. It's a lot nicer on Android. But on Android, again, there's the thing that a lot of Android games have where you only have a certain amount of energy um, to use on Go's for each level, etc. But for such a very quick pick-up-and-play game, Mm -hmm. um, that's not such a big deal on mobile. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so good.
2: Yeah, this was... I I never got around to playing this one, but there was a period where... Xbox uh, Live Arcade, the indie games that they were putting out were just incredible. Like me and friends spent so much time playing games like um, Hidden in Plain Sight and Mount Your Friends and games like that. Yeah, <laughs> like those games were incredible, and I, I couldn't believe that uh, we had that news story that uh, from uh, a few months ago, um, where the, the guy who created uh, Xbox Live Arcade was saying how when he first pitched it, the the higher ups at Microsoft didn't want it to be a thing they were not in favor of it at all and it became such a great platform for these sort of indie games to to flourish and to reach a wide market that you know the people who didn't necessarily have a PC and couldn't get these games on Steam so uh, that's one I've, I've, I've seen gameplay for a job and it looks insane so uh, I'll definitely be picking that one
4: up well definitely would be surprised if that's not um, dropped down a little bit in the steam seal so yeah definitely pick that up uh, towards yeah. the end of the month because it is just it's just so quick out and pick up and play and if you make your way through say like a hundred man level or whatever you just feel incredible um because (laughs) they just keep coming at you and it is just so good nice okay um ryan do you want to go next
1: yeah sure um i've been doing a lot more hitman of course uh with the new level coming out that was very exciting um, had a little bit of trouble, I guess, in the North American PS4 release, which is unfortunately the uh, the group that I fall squarely into, but ended up getting it after, you know, they sorted out all the problems with that launch and uh, mm. yeah, really enjoying Marrakesh. I like that it's kind of, uh, it kind of stepped down the requirements from sapienza and so in that way it's a little easier uh since they don't Mm -hmm. tack on like an extra like hunt down the virus at the end of the mission which is an interesting part of that mission but it also like if you're playing this dozens and dozens of times like it makes for kind of an unpleasant and unnecessary step that just really slows down the repetition uh, of the Mm -hmm. game that you're meant to kind of play through again and again um, so yeah I'm, I'm very much enjoying Marrakesh I feel like I've explored it pretty thoroughly but there is I'm sure plenty more for me to find
0: mm.
2: yeah I picked uh, Hitman up uh, yesterday I've finally mm. caved after I had enough people talking about how good it is I've only done the um, training levels mm-hmm. and a couple of playthroughs of the, the Paris level but it's already feels like classic Hitman it feels like like Blood Money era Hitman where it's just these giant sandboxes with a starting point and a target, and then how you accomplish your objectives is completely up to you. And I, I like it. It 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 kind of figures that a game like Hitman Go would spin off from uh, a game like Hitman because everyone works kind of like a big clockwork machine, mm-hmm. where everyone has these routes that they 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 walk around, and unless you interfere with it, they will stay the same. And it's how you interfere with that with this clockwork machine. I'm yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. I've i yeah, the, the the Paris level jumped in yesterday, played through the first time, got rid of both the targets and thought, nah, that's a bit messy, I can do better than that. <laughs> the I've managed to get one of the kills to look like an accident. The 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 objective is always for me to to get in and get out, um, eliminating all the targets, making it look like just a terrible accident has happened, um, with no one being the wiser. But um I'm absolutely loving that so far.
0: Hmm.
3: It's strange because um, I never bothered with any of the Hitman games. Um, I've mm. still got the HD trilogy to, still to actually have a go at. But Hitman Go actually has piqued my curiosity. So mm. I think I'll probably have a go at Blood Money and wait for Hitman to come out as, you know, uh, a actual physical media.
1: Yeah. This newer yeah, sure one is be. a lot more accessible than Blood Money. Like Blood Money has kind of an archaic... Uh, control scheme and it just it plays like a game of its time Uh, so if you don't Mm -hmm. like that don't necessarily let it put you off just kind of judge whether or not you like the ideas at play and then know that it will be um, streamlined and will play a lot better in the newer one Uh, and i've also been playing some near on the ps3 i've been you know i've been playing so much on the Current generation consoles. I've got. I still got so much of a backlog on my PS3 that I've been every once in a while dipping into uh, to check those off my list. So I, I've got Nier and Yakuza Four uh, simultaneously on my PS3. That I'm trying to play through so I can uh, make way for Kingdom Hearts. Nier is a very impressive game. Like I love. Uh, it, it did its first like complete genre shift on me yesterday, and it's just so like I, I love when games do that when they just completely change what they're doing and they give you something so unexpected like it's like a, um, like the frog fractions effect like it's it, it's great to have something so kind of unpredictable and, and so willing to step out and take a chance to do something completely out of its wheelhouse uh, near is a jrpg that kind of plays in the style of uh, like a newer final fantasy i would say you play a, a dad in the westernized version, or a brother in the Japanese version, uh, named Near, who is, um, is trying to find some cure for his daughter's disease, and so he's kind of traveling the countryside and going to various villages with the help of a talking book, and um, it, it just has so many strange ideas that packed into it that don't necessarily even always work well together but like it's so cool to just see them all just kind of playing towards a single end and um, you know like you have your book can fire bullets kind of like a uh, kind of like a shmup game whereas you mm. your your um, sword swinging combat plays a lot like Kingdom Hearts combat it's very action oriented it's very in your face and um, but it just seems like every village I go to and every place that I visit, like there's so many surprises that I would not have expected to see. And so it's uh, it's an interesting one and I'm very much looking forward to uncovering more of its secrets. Hmm. Uh, And then of course, uh, Yakuza, which I mentioned before, Uh, I've never played any game in the series, but it's always one that I knew that I would enjoy. And so I've been uh, digging into Yakuza four because I, Either got that as a PS Plus or picked it up in a sale. I don't remember which, but um, it's been uh, it's been enjoyable. I I can't say that I've really like seen anything yet that I have been like has been a life changing moment necessarily, but (laughs) it's it's cool to see the level of like uh, of direction and cinematography, kind of like Metal Gear Solid style, in a lot of the cutscenes, and it's you know not afraid to go. Like slowly when it needs to, just like Japanese cinema, which is great. I like it when games are. Uh, okay to kind of linger on the quiet scenes for a while
2: yeah i've i listened to a lot of the uh bitsocket podcast and they bang on repeatedly about how the the yakuza games are their their favorite mm. series of games by a long way uh i've got yakuza 4 sitting on my ps4 i'm sorry my ps3 from when that was um the ps plus game and I'm, i do intend to go in and play it my girlfriend played a little bit of on my console um and what i saw from the first couple of hours was was yeah, re- looked really interesting. I mean, it, it, she's been to Japan. I unfortunately haven't, but she said that from what she saw of uh, it's Kamarocho, isn't it the area where you play through in the city? I think it's called Kamurocho. Um, she said it was a, a, like a you know a pretty good facsimile yeah. of what downtown Tokyo is like. Um, so yeah, I, I want to play that one.
1: Yeah, and then I've also been uh, trying to get through more of The Witcher Three which I bought at nice. launch, but um, I just didn't really like it for the longest time. And even oh now, God, like kind game. of every other time I play it, I have a good experience and a bad experience. And so I'm, I'm still not really like entirely sold, but I think that it's strong mm. moments are strong enough to keep me going. And, yeah. you know, just the word of mouth, like people absolutely love that game. And I do like the... Um, the small stories that it tells and the world that it Mm -hmm. creates. But I don't know. There's just so many little things in there that bug me so much. Like I don't like the way that Geralt moves around and I I don't like the, um, it it feels like there's a delay on the controls. Like,
2: yeah, there was, there was a, that was a a thing that a lot of people complained mm -hmm. about. Um, he seems to carry momentum a lot. So, that when you yeah. let go of the stick, it takes a little, like a split second or so before he stops. To their credit, though, CD Projekt Red did take that on board. And if you go into the options, you can switch Geralt's moving to an alternate right. movement. I've done which that, is that a helps lot more responsive. a lot. Responsive. But it's still not yeah. a
1: complete fix. But I think it's even not Dark the, Souls, no. Right. <laughs> and I think that is the thing. Yeah. Like, I, I I played that for the first time coming straight out of Dark Souls 2. And so that probably was uh, an unfair yeah. comparison to make. But um, I think even like. I can move my camera control stick and I can hear it click like quite a you know, noticeable time before the camera even starts moving, so I yeah. Yeah, don't know about that. But the uh, DLC sounds that. excellent and I, I might oh even gosh, power yeah. through to all of that, you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a bit of a trial of experience, but I, I think that the strong stuff is
3: strong enough to keep me going through it. Cool.
2: Uh, so Kev, what have you been playing?
3: The girl. <laughs> except I've, I've played about an hour or so on persona 4 golden just because of the heavy recommendations i've had from a certain person mark who will go unnamed mark yeah <laughs> yeah i'm loving it it's phenomenal i don't want to say too much about it because i do actually want to do a bit more of it but it's got me hooked enough to actually get the blu-ray box set as well which i'm started watching sort of in parallel with the game and it's does work as that <laughs> without actually uh, going too deeply into it. it, it That's why it does, it just runs parallel to the game. The only other thing I've done this week is got a 64 gig memory card for me, PS Vita, loaded all the stuff onto that, so now I've got 51 games that I can't play. <laughs>
2: Well, it'll take you about 50-odd hours to get through Persona 4, so <laughs> you'll be sorted for a good while. But, um, yeah, I've I've gone on at length on this show about how much I love Persona 4. I can see it's, why now. Yeah, it's probably my favourite JRPG. Um, just the whole... Uh, everything about it, the, the, the design, uh, the, the characters, the voice acting. The, the fact that it can handle... It, it tackles quite I don't want to say too much because it's, there's a lot of stuff happens later on in the game that you won't have come across yet. But it handles some quite mature topics um, with you know more maturity and sensitivity than you'd expect from a JRPG. <laughs> yeah that 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 game is, is incredible. So um, I can't wait to hear what you think when you played some more of that.
3: Yeah I'm looking forward to it. I've not played a JRPG in Absolutely ages And I'm trying to remember The last time I actually uh, Managed to wade through one And I think it was Probably going back To the PS2 days And you know The original turn based stuff um, Before Final Fantasy Went a bit weird And mm. Yeah um, Loving it Because it's exactly What I want From a JRPG anyway You know It's still yeah. turn based Combat um, But the whole Interesting aspect Is this whole, whole Social thing um, mm. I'm going to see how that turns out. It's very fascinating so far. Hmm.
2: So over the last couple of weeks or so, I've played one game a lot and dabbled a little bit in a few others. So I'll talk about the ones I've dabbled in first. Um, I got my PC up to a point where it's actually behaving itself on the whole, reinstalled Steam and um, started playing through a few little bits and pieces. I downloaded the demo for the Stanley Parable. Um, Stanley Parable is a game that I absolutely want to pick up. I'm just waiting for it to, to drop down a little bit in price on in a Steam sale, and then I'll be purchasing that. I'd say if you, even if you've played the Stanley Parable itself, download the demo and give that a play because it's not it's not a part of the game at all. It's its own standalone thing, and it's a very from what I've gathered, from what I've, I've heard about the Stanley Parable, the full game. It's a very Stanley Parable-esque take on the idea and the concept of video game demos. Um, I thought I thought it was absolutely hilarious and really enjoyed playing through that. It's got a very Douglas Adams-esque uh, sense of humour, which I absolutely love. I also downloaded the demo for Kerbal Space Program, because I mainly just wanted to see whether it would run OK on my PC, and it runs fine. Uh, thankfully, and I haven't got around to purchasing the full game, but I will be getting that soon, but I I felt like I should try and master what there is available in the demo first of all, so Kerbal Space Program, if you don't know what it is, it's basically like a space program simulator where you build a a rocket ship, some sort of craft, and then try and get it into space and try and get to other planets, to the moon and other planets in the solar system and try and try and get your Kerbals back again. Um, I've got a layman's understanding of astrophysics and, and orbital mechanics, and I thought I knew enough to be able to play this game, and it turns out I don't. Because given the um, you know usable, fairly limited tools that it gives you in the demo, I'm struggling to be able to build a craft that is stable enough to get into orbit and then make it to the moon, let alone get to the moon, land on the moon, get off and get back again. So I'm actually having to learn quite a lot about orbital mechanics and delta Vs and lots and lots of physics-based stuff that I I'd, I'd thought that I wouldn't have to deal with again once I finished school. Um, but I'm absolutely loving that game, uh, and I will be picking up the full one. Uh, and then... Yeah, then I'll be absolutely lost in that. Have, have any, uh, any of you guys played any of Kerbal Space Program? No. No,
4: I've seen a number of videos and what have you, and yeah, those look very, very hard, so it does.
2: Oh God, it's so, so hard. It's just, just the simple act of being able to... You don't appreciate, really, I, I don't think, how difficult it is to try and... Because it's, it's a fairly accurate model of uh, gravitational physics. Uh, and I didn't realize just how hard it is to try and get something out of the planet's out of Earth's, Earth's atmosphere and into a stable orbit. Even that is hard enough. And then getting from a stable orbit to an orbit around another body in the solar system and then being able to get onto the surface of that is just, it's, it's, at the moment, it's beyond me. But I will get there. I'm going to keep bashing my head against it until I've until I've mastered uh, orbital mechanics. So it is Um, the
3: first game, then, that is actual rocket science. Yeah, essentially, yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you need to know... uh, I mean, like uh, the gameplay of it is quite simple. Uh, Well, it's not, really. But uh, (laughs) building, building the rockets is. Like, it's just you have parts, modular parts, you just click together. Kind of like almost like a Lego kit to, to build your rocket uh, bodies, um, your the cockpit that, that your crew will be in, um, the actual fuel tanks and the engines. But then it's calculating how much thrust you need compared to how much weight you have, how much fuel you need to be able to get into orbit, escape the Earth's orbit and get to another planet, land on that planet or, or the moon and then get back again. Is yeah, that's way more complicated than I thought it actually would be. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a great little game. There is there's, there's a fairly limited number of tools you can use in the demo, but in the, the full game, there's so much that I wanted to stick at the demo for a while until I'd mastered the basics before I get overwhelmed with different types of, of hulls and, and cockpits and engines and fuel tanks and, and stabilizers and whatnot. I wanted to be able to understand the basics first, so I'm sticking with the demo for the moment, and then I'll get the full game when I feel like I understand it a little bit more been playing through i played through the first two or three hours of blood and wine the uh, the new and final expansion for the witcher 3 on uh, ps4 uh I unfortunately now can't play anymore because my girlfriend stole my disc for a week while she's house sitting so uh uh i won't be able to play that again for a while unfortunately but uh, yeah i mean i i i love the witcher 3 um I've gone on about it at length on the show about how I think it is, in my opinion, the one of the best, if not the best, um, Western like fantasy RPG game that I've ever played. Blood and Wine is is sort of like whereas Hearts of Stone took place in the same area as the main body of um, Witcher Three took place, and it takes place in the area around Velen and uh, the No Man's Land area around there. Uh, Blood and Wine takes you off to a new area called Toussaint which is sort of like an approximation of medieval eastern France western Germany around that Rhineland mm. sort of area but um, with a very like v- like beautiful summertime setting um, lush green valleys and, and beautiful uh, cities and mountains off in the background um, with lots and lots of sort of like Germanic French accents and um, I haven't played enough of it to really get my teeth into the story, so I don't know what's going on fully, but so far it, the, the the level of storytelling is on a par with um, with uh, Hearts of Stone. I know a lot of people had a bit of a problem with the story in the main game, I absolutely loved it, but a lot of people felt that once you'd passed the bloody Baron section, the story kind of plateaus mm. a bit, uh, and there's nothing else in the story which kind of meets that point. I, can kind of see that viewpoint but i really enjoyed the rest of the story but then like hearts of stone the storyline was incredible and i, I mentioned his, his channel earlier uh, super bunny hop he's done a, a video recently uh, about uh, the blood and wine story and about how it's a a really good retelling of the faust story uh, or at least the polish version of the faust story um and, yeah, the, the the story in Blood and Wine is shaping up to be just as good uh, from what I've played so far, but, yeah, I'm going to have to wait a week or so before I can play any more of that, um, which leaves me plenty of time to play more Overwatch, which is the game <laughs> I've played the most of over the last couple of weeks uh, since the game came out. I have spent £150 on that game now. Wow. Um, yeah, I bought the digital version, um so that me and my girlfriend could share that uh and then i love it so much that i plumped for the hundred pound collector's edition as well i don't really buy collector's editions very often but blizzard makes collect the blizzard makes such amazing collector's editions that i had to go for it and the the goodies in that box are, are fantastic i tweeted up some pictures on the um lapse gamer uh, twitter feed a while ago But, um, yeah, Overwatch is, is fantastic. I've talked about it a lot already, so I won't go into too much depth. But yeah, it's, it is the, it's like Blizzard saw what, um, that Valve had done with, um, Team Fortress 2 and said, you know what, we can do that better. And then they went and did it better. Um, so it's, it's that sort of game, but with sort of like a MOBA ish, sort of uh, characters heroes with like set skills and set weapons and like a couple of power a couple of powers and then like an ultra power um that you can unleash that charges up and then you unleash um the thing i think i love about it the most apart from the fact that it's just such a tight shooter is that so many i'm, I'm not great at multiplayer shooters uh And when you play something like Battlefield or Call of Duty or something like that, at the end of the match, it throws up the scoreboard. And so everyone can see just how bad at the game you were. But in Overwatch, I can play a tank character. I can play like a character called Reinhardt, who's just a giant German hulking suit of armour with a hammer and a shield. And I can just... ...use the shield to protect my teammates whilst they're doing the killing that I'm not very good at doing... ...or I can play a support character like Mercy who will just fly around the map and can't really do any damage... ...but will heal her teammates or give them a damage buff... ...and then her ultimate, she can resurrect fallen teammates um, within a short window after they die... And then when you get to the end of the match, you'll get like a play of the game where it'll show you a moment in the match where someone did something that kind of changed the game, shut down somebody's ultra, or got a massive multi kill, or resurrected four teammates when they were on the point, which led to them winning the game. And then it throws up um, four cards. One, uh, it'll throw up the uh, cards for each of the four play, uh, four players on on either team that did the best in that match, and then everyone votes on it. But it never ever shows you. Unless you go hunting for it in the menus, and it doesn't show anybody else it at all. It doesn't show you your kill-death ratio, it doesn't show you how many times you died, or anything like that. It It's just, like, it's just such a friendly shooter to game. It's just such a friendly shooter to play. And um, much like Splatoon, uh, the matches are, on the whole, really short. Like, I've never been in a match which has lasted for more than ten minutes. And so you can just jump in, play a couple of matches, turn it off, go off and do something else. It's, it's the perfect sort of casual shooter, which is something that I I tend to lean towards a little bit more these days, because I I don't have the time anymore to jump in and play a 45-minute match on Battlefield, although I still do from time to time. But um, yeah, Overwatch is incredible. I've put some footage up on the, uh, uh, on the Laps Gamer Radio uh, YouTube channel, and there'll be a lot more to follow. And... Yeah, expect me to be ranting about this for weeks to come I'm afraid so uh, our friend Adam was uh, going to be on the show this evening but uh, he's just got back to Canada after a, a trip uh, to the UK so he's horrifically jet lagged and is unfortunately unable to join us this evening but he's been so kind as to record uh, a short, uh, a short piece on what he's been playing recently so take away Adam hi guys so just a quick recording for me today
5: just gonna go through what i've been playing um it's quite a lot to catch up on actually because i guess one coupled with a vacation back to england and a lost recording during one of our episodes i've kind of missed almost a month of what i've been playing so hopefully this doesn't drag on too long but here's what i've been playing super hot on the xbox one uh, for those of you who don't know, it is as a game jam game. Um, it's a first-person shooter where time only moves when you move. You play through a progression of levels against um, poly- polygonal red enemies. It doesn't get more complicated than that. You use guns, swords and punching to wipe out enemies. There is an interesting plot behind Hidden Beneath Everything. simplicity, which I'm not going to spoil here. Next up I've been playing WarioWare Touched on the DS so I think I was the first person and possibly the last person in our little group to splurged some platinum points on a, from Mitomo and I bought WarioWare Touched. Big fan of the WarioWare series. I think this simplified things a little bit too much um, probably designed for the DS generation who are into things such as Brain Age. Not as hardcore as the Game Boy version was or the GameCube version. On the Xbox One as well I played White Knight which has got to be one of the worst games I've played this generation. A horror game which is completely in black and white And completely useless. You carry, you walk around a house with matches. If you run out of matches. You're in pitch black. Like literally black. You cannot see a thing. And it is painful. The only highlight of the game is it has the Jonathan Creek music. Rushing on through. Gravity Rush on the Vita is next. Played quite a bit of this recently. Beautiful game. Unique. There's nothing really like it. It almost takes that... um, Super Mario Galaxy gravity messing around to a new level it distills it down into one city rather than planetoids and it's very clever indeed next thing I've been playing with a game a lot of people have forgotten about down the years Big Fest on the Vita so for those who don't remember this it was unveiled at E3 a few years back and it is a theme park rollercoaster tycoonist game where you take control of a uh, entrepreneur who likes to run music festivals you work your way through a series of themed weekends picking bands and stuff Um one criticism of this is i guess because i'm late to this game it used live tracking i think to track the vibe of each band and because the game's been out a while every band has the highest ratings it's kind of hard to get some of the stars that ask you to use lesser known bands Uh, another vita game is up next it's killstone mercenary i played this whilst i was on vacation so mostly on the train on the way to back and forth from london um really good game always been a big fan of the Killzone um, franchise I played a lot of Killzone 3 multiplayer still one of my favourite multiplayer games to date uh, Killzone has been really good interesting story new twist on the Killzone world has everything it's perfect it looks beautiful uh, everything's spot on for a Killzone game nothing to criticise at all pretty cool mechanics when it comes to uh, how you manage your weapons you use like boxes and you um, crates that you go up to and you buy and trade weapons it's really good nothing to fall on it probably one of my games of the year if i'm honest next up a little bit of a twist so if everyone knows i'm doing my how long how many games going to be in a year trying to desperately get to 100 um i went to a place called arcade club in berry which claims to be the biggest arcade in europe and i played some old retro games with a couple of friends and also beat a couple of games whilst i was there so the games i beat were time crisis 2 um old favorite owned it on the PlayStation but it's always a lot more fun in the arcade those guns felt a lot more robust um, so big Time Crisis 2 I should mention about this place is you pay £10 to get in and then you don't put any money in the machine so you do kind of infinite credit it but you know what well, that's what a lot of these arcade games were meant to be I mean if you you could probably work out how much you would actually spend Next game we beat was Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. This is not the same game you might remember from the Genesis. Uh, It's not side-scrolling, it's isometric. You can play as up to three Michael Jacksons roaming around this world, shooting, dancing your way to beating all the um, Joe Pesky's pesky enemies, hooligans, henchmen. Final game I beat was Terminator 2 Judgment Day, the arcade game. For anybody that's followed my extra life efforts, i once beat that game on the mega drive after hours and hours it's a really tough game even on the mega drive and it's a really tough game in the arcade by the end of it we could smell the plastic from the guns like it was melting it has some brutal bits where you probably shouldn't be holding the button down still to shoot because you're going to break the controller but we still did we beat it awesome finally i won't bore you with this one too much because i know there's a certain someone on the podcast that will be talking about it a lot it's overwatch wasn't going to buy this came back from my holiday wanted something to play kind of played. Thought, right, I'm going to get Overwatch. I've really gotten into it. It's not something I expected to get into. I'm not usually into online shooters, but it does a fantastic job of even when you've lost, you still feel like you won and gained something. The variety of characters means you can mix up from game to game and you're constantly learning. It's quick-fire nature. just makes it fantastic. It looks beautiful. It's, it's almost like a casual shooter. They've It's almost like Blizzard have done what they did with Heroes of the Storm when they took Doha and made it simpler, but still it's got depth. It's like they've taken first-person shooters and brought them to the masses. I love how the um, perk system works with a superpower, or whatever you want to call it. it, pumps up and each character has a unique thing. You just hit and whine, unleashing that super weapon. There's nothing, the loot system is basically just cosmetic stuff, but it still makes it cool. It's nice to see people with unique skins that you don't have, and then as you acquire them, it makes it super interesting. That's basically all I've been playing. That's as quick fire as I could get through it to catch up. The only other thing I guess to mention that I've been playing, which would have been my lunchtime pick of the week, is grums g-r-u-m-z it is a really simple game where you control like a multi-sided dice that's portrayed on the screen in black and white frame by moving its way up and down a line and it's a bit like the beep test as you can get across the screen up and down this line as many times as possible and you get a point for each time you do it there's geometric shapes shooting their way towards you you gotta avoid them you hit them you're dead out of breath after all that speak to you soon bye thanks very much for that adam
4: Our lunch hour game of the week this week is a little game called Mecharama developed by Martin Magny, who is at Martin Magny on Twitter. It was released on the 15th of May 2016 and is available on Android and iOS. It's a very good little puzzle game where you have to guide a robot around the levels and basically get them from the starting point to the little red button point at the end of the level. It looks and feels somewhere in between... Oh, I'm trying to think. It's uh, Monument Valley mm-hmm. and Captain Toad's Adventures on the Wii U. It's like a slightly more symbolized version of Captain Toad but certainly it's very very good it's got very clever little physics within it And there's 50 levels in the base game, which is free and is a pay what you want option built into the game. But the developer actually tweets uh, like a daily level as there is a level editor within it. And there's a couple of other Twitter feeds that I follow which have been posting up other levels that people have created. So while there's only 58 levels in the game itself, there are seemingly infinite ones and Probably an awful lot more creative ones. I'm sure the developer is very happy about some of the levels that come out because some of them just look very complicated uh, that people have spent an awful lot of time in. It's the same with something like Mario Maker. You you give the tools over to the community and the things they come up with are completely far and away more advanced than what the developer necessarily thought it could do um, at the time. I'm up to level 38 and I was starting to (sighs) get a little bit stuck. (laughs) So that's as far as I've got. Mark you've played a little bit of it as well? Yeah I have I'm
2: just checking what level I'm up to uh, I'm not very far into it I'm on level 13 so far but yeah I'm really really enjoying it I've, I haven't played uh, Captain Toad Treasure Tracker mm. and, and I haven't played Monument Valley either so this is the first of this sort of puzzle game that I've ever played before but um, yeah it's, it's a brilliant little puzzler I've had a few problems where my sausage fingers have found it a bit difficult to <laughs> flick the little switches up and down and rotate bits of the level and whatnot but um aside from that it's it's brilliant and I, and I can't wait to play some more of that that's something I've been dipping into on on my lunch hours for sure.
4: Yeah, no, it's a very uh, nice little game. If you, uh, if you have the chance, I would probably advise playing on possibly like a 7-inch tablet. Um, yes. Or possibly yes. something a little bit bigger. <laughs> it's maybe a little bit small for a phone, but you can zoom in. It's just uh, the simple pinch zoom on the levels as well, sort of. so you can sort of get rounded that way. But certainly, yeah, it's definitely better on a slightly bigger tablet. But as I say, it's free to play and it's definitely worth checking out.
2: And I like the model of it's like, it's not free to play, but it's got adverts and then you can pay a bit and then it gets really, the adverts. It's free to play and then you can pay what you want to support the developer. I haven't actually even noticed
4: any of the adverts, I think, after like the third or fourth level. I just went, right, I'm paying for this. Yeah. Uh, Just because it is so good. Uh, The actual user-created levels are loaded into the game just via pictures. It reads QR codes on the generated pictures um, from within the app. So you can actually go onto Twitter, save the image just onto your mobile device, and then actually upload it from within the game itself. Or alternative, if you have an alternative source for looking at the pictures, you can actually just scan them then with a camera as well. I think it's one of the best uses of QR codes that I've seen in a good way. Mm. Yes, damn good game. So download did and check it out.
2: Okay, so moving on with the news, and our
4: first story uh, is from Stuart. We um from Nintendo Life, and it has been announced that the Nintendo N cross-production has reportedly been pushed back to 2017 to incorporate virtual reality. The order volume has been reduced from 20 million to 10 million. Nintendo has reportedly delayed mass production of its N cross-console in order to factor in virtual reality functions and improve the system's unique console and handheld integrated gaming experience, according to DigiTimes. Sources close to the production chain have stated that the console combines domestic and portable gaming functionality, which has long been rumoured. It showcases a 5-7 inch display with a controller and joystick for users to play as a mobile gaming platform. N-Cross is also able to connect to a TV and operate as a traditional domestic console. The sources have claimed the supply chain received Nintendo's order to start developing the case mould for the N-Cross in the middle of last year, and was told that the console would enter mass production and launch in the middle of 2016. Nintendo's new mass production schedule means that some key components will still be produced this year, but full mass production won't begin until 2017. Another report states that Nintendo's order volume has been reduced. The plan was originally for 20 million units in year one, but Nintendo's new target is around 10 million units. Sources claim the change is down to the fact that the Wii U has sold poorly and the console market is considered to be shrinking, although with Sony's PlayStation 4 passing 40 million units sold this year, that last point seems a little inaccurate. Foxconn has been given the lion's share of N-Cross production, but rival firm Pegatron Technology has apparently been sniffing around for work too. Foxconn apparently has 40% of the N-Cross order, with the remainder being shared between Japan-based Musumi and Hosiden. Meanwhile, Taiwan-based component suppliers Macronics International, Pixart Imaging and Delta Electronics are also involved.
1: So, yeah, we want to make very clear that this is not a delay that we're talking about, like, this is still the projected time that Nintendo... Uh, wanted to ship the NX, uh, or at least according to the announcement that they made. And so, you know, this this news story is not talking about a further delay to that. Um, it was always meant to come out March of next year, as far as we know, which, which felt weird from the beginning because this is usually the kind of thing that you would want to launch before Christmas the previous year uh, because, you know, that's when they stand to make the most money, uh, presumably. And what's confusing to me is that... The, the piece of news is that they're, they, they reduced their order from 20 million units to 10 million units, which, uh, you know, to build in VR potentially, but does that mean that those first 10 million units aren't going to have a standard function of the latter 10 million units that they'll be producing once the VR is finished? Or I'm not just not really clear on what, downgrading the order means unless they are thinking like well since we have more time hardware's finished we're going to just take our time in producing these so it's not as much of a financial strain all-in-one quarter budget
2: i don't know i don't think anybody knows what nintendo are doing at the moment really (laughs) they're just doing whatever they feel like making more room for amiibos yes exactly um, <laughs> I don't have any more shelf space please stop please
4: and <laughs> yeah, that's why that's all they're doing it's not virtual reality support it's amiibo support <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, we should
2: just clarify quickly that we've we're calling it the N-Cross because we have it on reasonably good authority that that is how it's actually referred to in Japan uh, in the same way that Xenoblade Chronicles Cross and Street Fighter Cross Tekken and games like that uh, it's not an X it's a cross because they don't have the of X in ge- in Japanese language. Yeah, this is an interesting story. I did also hear that apparently to continue Nintendo's attitude towards third-party developers, uh, third-party developers are being uh, told to start producing well, being asked, should we say, to start producing games for the N-Cross without being given dev units or the specs of the final console. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they're developing for a console that they don't know what it is yet, which is Sounds true tradi- yeah, sounds typically Nintendo.
4: Yeah, it seems a very odd situation. Um, hmm. the way it's being either handled or sort of being reported. There's an awful lot of numbers there and an awful lot of supply chains and etc. And it's kind of hard to make headway with what's actually necessarily going on. Certainly the number of units is probably significant. The fact that they're having it for the sort of expected sales within year one. Um that's very <laughs> more, I wouldn't say worrying, but certainly they're drastically decreasing their expectations for the system but then that that happened with the Wii didn't it because when the
2: Wii first came out and it became an instant overnight hit people couldn't you couldn't find copy you couldn't find a Wii in a yeah, store yeah there was a shortage of everything for
4: it yeah
3: yeah, Yeah, but do you think this is because they actually look too closely to their own navels? Uh, Nintendo traditionally just look at the Japanese market and just take that as red. So of course in the Japanese market right now, everything's handheld or mobile. So yeah. they're just thinking the, the, the market is shrinking when it clearly isn't worldwide but they're just refusing to actually accept that.
2: Yeah, because the console market worldwide is absolutely not shrinking. In fact, it seems to be larger than it was the, the, the equivalent time last generation.
3: Burgeoning. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. huge.
2: But, yeah, the home console market in Japan has been shrinking consistently year on year for quite a while now, mm-hmm. as pe- you know, people move towards... Mobile and uh, and uh, handheld like you said, so you could see it maybe maybe it'll come out and it will be incredible and everyone will want one we'll have the same situation with the Wii that you just can't find one for months <laughs> until they worked out how to create more of them. Uh, I take all of these news stories, these these reports and leaks about what the console is with a pinch of salt because we've heard so much over the last what two three years oh, yeah. about what and the sort NX of fake is. leaks and the sort
4: of mocked up prototypes and things like that. Yeah, <laughs> and
2: the 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 god knows how many different patents that uh, that n- Nintendo have registered for really weird things that might be in the console, might not be in the console. Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I'll I'll take everything with a pinch of salt until we finally see the the launch, which should, or the the announcement, which should, fingers crossed, be not too long after
4: E3. You would imagine so. I think they've got a couple of Treehouse ones and what have you, but I think they're probably going to be covering Zelda and some other games. So yeah. I, mean, I would I would imagine possibly late summer. Um, we might get a little bit more of a clearer picture, but we'll just have to wait and see
2: well they did announce last week I believe that they've, they've backtracked and that Zelda will not be the only game they're showing at E3 uh, there might be some other games there but they'll probably all be
4: 3DS games I'm assuming that's only because they're reading Lee's tweets. <laughs> yeah that they, they, they would be doing something like that they're actually yeah, following um, him
3: <laughs>
2: Yeah well the interesting stuff that they're doing at the, at the moment right now um, is in the the mobile market where they are moving into that. I know that that we have all I think uh, collectively dropped off Mitomo. Absolutely. Um I've still got my copy installed but it's only on there until I need the space and then it's getting uninstalled. <laughs> yeah, I've the last been time I loaded it up.
4: Yeah, I've been toying with it today as well trying to think mm, do I let it go I might log in once more just to see what is yeah. going on and after that I think it's, uh, that's it gone. It was interesting for a while,
2: but it's just not its not enough of a game, really, to keep your interest for, for, for very long. It's the other stuff that they're talking about doing in the mobile, the other stuff they're talking about doing in the mobile market they're more interested in, like um, uh, Pokemon Go and things like that. Mm. Mm-hmm.
3: I do like the fact that they're actually registering loads and loads of crazy patents, so nobody can actually tell what they're up to. They're just scaring the living shit out of everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good move. Mm, He's a clever tactic. (laughs) Your sim can be any gender, wear any clothing, and switch genders any time. In an update released this Thursday for The Sims 4, all gender boundaries will be removed from the game, meaning you'll be able to dress your sim in any every piece of clothing regardless of their gender. Going one step further, players can switch sim's genders on the fly, as well as say whether or not their sim can reproduce or not. Fantastic news for a series that has always been quite inclusive, as it was one of the first games to include same-sex marriage since the initial release in the year 2000. Yes, executive producer of the game told the Associated Press that this update has been in the works for over a year with a collaboration with the LGBT advocacy group GLAAD. Bravo EA and Maxis, now if only other companies would follow suit.
1: So I I like this change that they've made taking out these gender barriers because uh, I was at a talk at GDC recently um, talking about adding accessibility options to mobile games in particular and how they were saying that you know there are folks who um, have to have their tablets mounted due to you know limited motor use in their arms, or they have uh, color blindness, or or this and that, like all sorts of different you know different abilities that you couldn't, or that you don't necessarily think of when you're producing a a game uh, unless you do some research into um, those types of audiences, but. Um, but he, he was just the point he was making is that there are so many changes that take like literally minutes to implement that can make your game accessible for you know different swaths of the population which is wonderful which expands your target market immensely um you know something as simple as putting a semi-transparent white barrier in between foreground and background art makes it a lot more visible for uh Uh, colorblind players and then players who don't want that can turn it off and you get you know no degradation to the art assets um and so that's kind of how i view this sims 4 thing and a lot of people are saying like oh why are you spending your time you know catering to the lgbt markets when your game is still broken and you know that you'll get those comment sections every time that uh, a
2: Those damn SJWs. (laughs) Yeah. Anytime anybody (laughs) does
1: something even remotely progressive, you'll get a lot of people trying to say, well, you should be spending your time fixing the bugs, Uh, whatever. You know, like this is not in place of fixing bugs. Like this to me reads like, like a, not like a passion project, but like something that somebody on the team thought was important and dedicated their own time to doing. Um, Yeah. Mm. This was.
2: It's. hmm. Well, I was going to say, it's also something that modders have been doing on mm. the Sims for yeah. ages anyway, yeah, so it yeah. just makes sense to just put it in the game.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I'm not really, like, I don't know that much about what it takes to, like, produce a game, really, but this doesn't seem like a terribly hard thing to implement uh, you know you're you're changing maybe you're changing the uh, clothing models so that they fit on a slightly differently shaped frame although there's already a huge diversity of frame shapes within uh, the gender distinctions in the sims already and so um, I, I see this as being categorically a good thing that just opens it up to new audiences and even to people who just want to you know have a have a laugh dressing up like women like monty python used to do like whatever like this <laughs> yeah this could be yeah. <laughs> for anybody and so it, it's a good thing i don't think it took very much time to implement and i think it just communicates a level of uh of just goodwill towards their customers which is excellent
2: mm-hmm. absolutely yeah So our next story comes from uh, Eurogamer, and that's that hardware creator Mad Cats is in dire straits after the Rock Band 4 disaster. Uh, Mad Cats, known for creating Rock Band instruments, uh, third party controllers, and the preferred lines of fighting game arcade sticks, reported an $11.6 million loss for the past fiscal year. Reportedly, this is due to Rock Band 4 not moving as many units as they had expected. It is a project that they invested heavily in, and the lackluster sales may well spell disaster for the company. Harmonix has moved on to a new partner for Future Instrument Hardware and has signed an exclusivity deal for another decade with Fender uh, for use of their iconic guitar designs. So, yes rather bad news for a company that's kind of been synonymous with you know gaming hardware for well as long as I can remember at least as far back as PlayStation 1 Mm. Uh, I don't know if they were making controllers third party controllers before then as well but yeah, but play, you get third party PlayStation and, and N64 controllers and various other platforms manufactured by uh, Mad Cats. And they are still one of the biggest names, there. and Hori, and a couple of other manufacturers when it comes to fight sticks.
3: but and the quality stuff as well. Yeah, mm.
2: really quality stuff. And it's just seen, And yeah, the rock band instruments were always of a much higher quality than Guitar yep. Hero. Yeah, um, You paid a little bit more, but it was worth it. Like uh, one of the, the, the nicest of those peripherals I ever used was the um, the violin bass um, yes controller the, for Beatles, the Beatles. Yeah. yeah oh it was lovely great um, but yeah it seems that they they banked quite a lot on Rock Band for being a success and it seems that the gaming market at least has moved on from Rock Band and Guitar Hero and it's kind of left that genre behind a bit, which is a shame because they were one of the the best party games you could get. If you could get a group of friends together, you couldn't have much more fun than playing uh, playing Rock Band or Guitar Hero. Mm. Uh, it's too bad
1: to see Rock Band kind of like chewing up and spitting out mad cats. <laughs> like, they're, they're not mm. really like... And Madcats is still like an, an industry leader in producing fight sticks and all sorts of different peripherals. And so it's it's unfortunate to see them kind of suffer and uh, Harmonix not really being there to pick them up. Although uh, Harmonix was kind of on the other end of that when they put out the excellent uh, Disney Fantasia music evolved for the Xbox One and Xbox 360 for use with their Connect peripheral, which should have been a... Tremendous selling selling game because it it, it is wonderful, but um, they the since the Connect kind of died out, so did all the sales that they were hoping to see from that. And so you know they've they've been on that side of it. Now they are uh, they're perpetuating the abuse, unfortunately. But you know what yeah.
3: can they do realistically? Look on the bright side. At least we've got a headline now that says "Dire Straits after Rock Band four disaster." <laughs> maybe that's what they need
2: to do they just the rock band need to make rock, rock band, band die straight yes yeah. absolutely yeah <laughs> oh, I would love that it, does, oh, it all it would need to be was salt of Swing just on repeat <laughs> i play that
3: that's three hours right there
4: Or <laughs> well, just uh, oh, just the I'm thinking of the album DLC uh, Love Over Gold yeah, oh, would, yeah. oh my with, god that would do okay yeah. I'm, I'm still really disappointed that, you know, there's been all the sort of specific band cash-ins and what have you, and there was never either Rock Band or Guitar Hero Iron Maiden. Yeah. That's that, weird. Yeah. That would have been fantastic. You know, they could have done the whole animations with Eddie and things like that, and not just the band themselves. And it's amazing that that never happened, uh, to be fair. They did
2: a Metallica one, didn't they? They did, you hmm. think. Yeah, Metallica have been rubbish for Metallica, a long time. So, Metallica
4: and Green Day, and oh, there was Guitar Hero, Van Halen, Guitar Hero, yeah. Aerosmith. But yeah, Guitar Hero, Iron Maiden would have been good. Yeah,
2: they're, they're all bands that were have have long since passed their prime. Yeah, at least in my opinion, anyway.
3: And then
4: with yeah. the, uh, I was going to say with the keyboard attachment for Rock Band three, hmm. uh, Rock Band uh, Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, definitely. Oh, <laughs> oh,
3: that would have been
2: that would have been very niche, I think. But it would have been very oh, niche. It would have been good. But it
3: would yeah, been but right our there. karaoke nights would be amazing. Oh god, yeah,
4: yeah. Three guaranteed copies sold. <laughs> right, <there>. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So our next
2: disappointing news story comes from Polygon, and that is that Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater is returning in Konami's glorious Fox engine for a Pachinko game. As we feared, the, 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 the business model that Konami have, have gone in, I think now the only game, actual proper video game they make anymore, and I don't know how long that will go on for is um, Pro Evolution Soccer or Winning Eleven, depending on where in the world you are. Um, but yeah, as they've been steadily taking all of the franchises they own and turn them into pachinko machines, it was only a matter of time before Metal Gear Solid pachinko happened, and unfortunately it has happened. Metal Gear Solid has unfortunately followed other classic Konami titles and ended up as this weird sort of legal gambling in a country in which gambling is illegal, and it's just horrible, and It it hurts me. It hurts me deep inside to see this happen to... One of the franchises that I hold very very dear to my heart. Um, I don't think we're ever going to see an actual proper Metal Gear Solid game again. I think that franchise is done. It will now exist solely as Pachinko machines or maybe horrible free-to-play microtransaction mobile games or whatever. Because Konami is horrible. But yeah, I don't even want to talk about it anymore.
3: If anybody wants to send hugs via Twitter to Damocles, you can. You can do it's yeah. Damocles six
2: nine three. <laughs> yeah, please send your love. It's all right. I've, it's fine. I've got it's got five Metal Gear Solid games that I can just play through over and over again. <laughs> I'll always have the classics. <laughs>
3: <sighs> Chin up.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: Seven months later and Valve's Steam Machines look to be dead in the water. This is from ARS Technica. It's been about seven months now since Valve officially got into the hardware business with its Steam Machines, a line of Linux-powered gaming PC console hybrids um, paired with a unique dual touchpad Steam Controller. Today we're getting our first concrete glimpse of the impact that hardware has had on the wider market for gaming machines, and the numbers don't look too good for Valve. As part of an update on new Steam Controller functions, Valve announced that it has sold over 500,000 Steam Controllers since the early November launch. A Valve representative confirmed to ours uh, that this number includes the controllers that are packaged with every branded Steam Machine sold through Valve's hardware partners. Put it together and you find that there have been less than half a million Steam Machines sold over the span of more than half a year. The real number could potentially be much lower when you consider curious Windows gamers who bought a Steam controller and SteamOS players who bought additional controllers. While the 500,000 number doesn't necessarily include people who decided to download and install SteamOS on their PCs or all sales of Valve's $50 Steam Link streaming box, it probably serves as a good ceiling for the wider SteamOS market at this point. Half a million might not sound like a bad sales number for a brand new hardware platform, but it starts to look pretty tepid in the context of the wider gaming market. Both the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One sold over a million consoles in their first day on the market in 2013. After just over seven months on store shelves Microsoft was up to about 5.5 million Xbox One sales and the PS4 had racked up 10.2 million worldwide sales. That's what a successful gaming hardware launch looks like these days. Steam machine sales don't look any better when compared to the world of PC gaming. Estimates from John Petty Research suggest that in 2015, the worldwide market for new, enthusiast, and performance PC gaming hardware comprised about $18.3 billion. Even if we are extremely generous and assume Steam customers average a healthy $1,500 spent per Steam machine, note the hardware goes for under $500 at the low end, that amounts to just $750 million in sales. or about 4% of the annual market, a slightly larger share if you um, amortize over seven months of availability. That's something, but it's not quite the kind of performance that's going to make a dent in the Windows gaming monolith. It's also not the kind of revenue that's likely to get PC hardware makers excited about continuing support for the Steam Machine effort in the long term. Steam Machine's lack of traction in the marketplace isn't all that surprising. Even years before its launch, the idea looked a bit like a solution in search of a problem predicated on the belief that Microsoft would start exercising monolithic control of the Windows software marketplace any day now. While SteamOS did a lot to make the idea of Linux gaming more mainstream, the platform has been hurt by a complete lack of system selling exclusives, a dearth of support from most big name publishers, and poor technical performance when compared to Windows games on the same hardware. Maybe the entire PC market will suddenly and surprisingly soar on Windows in the near future. Maybe some out-of-nowhere killer app will launch first on SteamOS and lead to a big run on Steam Machine hardware. Right now, though, it seems more likely that Valve's first big hardware push will continue to languish in relative market obscurity. Soon, it may end up relegated to the dustbin of gaming business history.
0: Mm. From my point
4: of view, the Steam machines never really looked that enticing. They were always of a nice, sort of console-sized machine. Um, so to sit under your TV etc would have been good but in reality anybody sort of playing on Steam is really going to be looking for um, just the specs of a decent PC Mm -hmm. and even being able to put together a relatively good um, PC um, with comparable or better specs um, than a lot of the Steam machines for a smaller amount of money um, is always going to be an awful lot more tempting Uh, there's also the fact that the support for um, Linux does seem to be relatively low even within Steam itself um, and even on Mac it's probably comparable, I would say Mac probably even has a little bit better support um, <laughs> yeah. than either Linux or the Steam OS There's
3: only um, about on four Steam, of them
4: Yeah, on Steam itself so it's sort of fairly um, obvious why that is. this is kind of failed I think a lot of the once you start going outside of the sort of big PC magazines and things like that, a lot of people wouldn't even have been really aware of this um, mm-hmm. as an option anyway.
2: Well, there was a lot of buzz around it when they when they were first being announced, and um, a lot of people on uh, the comment sections on gaming websites and on on Reddit were talking about how yeah, this this could be this could be the thing that that, that helps Steam conquer the console market and, mm-hmm. and uh, be like a, a genuine like halfway house between. The home consoles, and you know, paying a lot of money for a decent gaming rig, or people who wanted to play uh, slightly, you know, better-looking PC games. You know, in their living room rather yep. than being tied to a desk as has been the case with PC for so long but with Steam Link and Steam Big Picture Mode and the Steam Controller it's not actually that hard to be able to play a PC game on your TV. It's really so, not I've got a, yeah. a
4: very basic spec um, Windows 10 tablet um, which does I an mean, HDMI out and I can plug a, just an ordinary USB controller into that, mm. plug the HDMI into my TV and use a sort of Big Picture Mode and stream from my gaming PC yeah. Um. To the TV, and you know, that's without even going anywhere near a Steam controller or even a Steam Link. Yeah. So for a lot of people who are savvy enough, there are plenty of other options and easier ways of doing it um, than going out and actually purchasing and then trying to configure or find games that will actually run on OS. Mm. Yeah.
2: Um. Yeah. There was always going to be problems with you know um, tying the, the the hardware to the the Linux platform mm. when games I've been I mean it's not been that long really that the developers have started optimizing their games to run on on um, Apple OS uh, but they're still primarily built for Windows and asking the developers you need to make a Windows version and then you're also going to make a slightly down resed version that runs on Linux so we can run it on the Steam machine that yeah. people aren't buying uh, yeah it's just it's a shame but it's yeah, kind of gone nowhere and from what I've seen so far that seems to be what's happening with the HTC Vive as well which is of course is Steam's answer to the Oculus Rift mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of buzz around it when it first came out but people aren't buying it because it is prohibitively expensive uh, and there aren't many games for it uh, and people don't have the space to be able to utilise it properly so that's two forays into the hardware market that Steam have made that
4: haven't really gone anywhere. But Yeah. The sales for the Steam controller don't seem to be too bad. Five hundred thousand isn't yeah. too bad for sort of a seven month. But again it's a little bit niche because it is the steam controller itself, while it doesn't quite work in the same way that say an Xbox three sixty or a PlayStation controller would work. Yeah. It um does let you sort of map key bindings and things of a keyboard and mouse. Mm. Um any of the reviews that I've read on it seem to be some say they absolutely love it, others say that it just doesn't quite work. I've been tempted on occasion and just over actually past the past weekend there was thirty percent off on Steam itself for the Steam controller, so it was down to twenty seven ninety nine. Mm. And I was close to going for it but I just don't quite have the games that I could maybe use it for. But I would mm. be interested to actually sit and play it and actually use it to see what it was like, but I just don't really seem to have the need for it at the minute. No. I mean, most games that, that, that I mean, if if
2: you're if you're playing a game that uses a controller, you can just plug in a 360 controller or any other controller that works with the PC, yep. and if you wanted to play a game that uses a keyboard and mouse, instead of trying to relearn how to play that on a controller, you can just put a, like a tray on your lap and use a keyboard yeah. and mouse. Or
4: you know, there's there's other options. There's other programs and things. There's the Pinnacle Game com- Profiler and what have you. And there's Joy to Key and you know, there's, yeah. There's other options there if people actually want to do that. Yeah,
2: but. I mean I don't think Steam are going to cry I'm sorry Steam, I don't think Valve are going to cry too much if the the, the Steam machine kind of disappears because they make so much money that I don't think it's going to hurt them too much if they invested a lot of money
4: in this and it doesn't go anywhere.
2: They're probably in an even healthier financial position than someone like Nintendo.
4: Yeah if anything for Valve themselves I dare say that there was a fair exchange of the contracts and things that they used for the suppliers Yeah, they actually do that I don't think Valve themselves put maybe a huge amount of money, I could be completely wrong on that, and they did sort of throw money at people. Um, But I have a funny feeling, you know, they were doing it through people like Alienware and other sort of PC manufacturers and what have you. So I dare say that they were willing to do it anyway, um, just to see if they could push it and get it to take off.
2: I mean, I'm looking at the Alienware website at the moment, and they are still advertising Steam machines, and you can you can get them. But like, if you wanted one with a decent spec, with say well, say decent spec, like a reasonably decent spec, uh, Intel Core i7 processor, eight gigs of memory, and uh, a two gig uh, GeForce GTX graphics card, you're looking at six hundred and twenty nine pounds.
4: Yeah. And you could build a Just PC with a reasonable spec for a little bit less than that. And then exactly. you have the option, well, it's actually a PC, I can actually run Windows applications on it. Yeah, and, and you can you know, upgrade it whenever exactly, you want. Exactly, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. There's a lot more options, um, particularly yeah for the upgrades. They had talked about being some options for upgradability, but again, it depends on who the manufacturer was at the time and what they yeah. were actually going to release in the future. Even looking at like their basic model that comes in at
2: 399 pounds, its specs aren't any better than a PlayStation 4 or an Xbox 1. Yeah. Which you can get for less than 399 pounds.
4: Yep.
2: And I know the games would be cheaper on Steam than they are on console, but if you're if you're buying a Steam machine, you're buying a Steam machine because you want it to be more powerful than a console. And if you want it to be more powerful than the console,
4: you're going to have to spend quite a lot of money, and at that point just build a PC. Yeah, and again, any of the games that you would want to play on the SteamOS instead of getting a PS4 or an Xbox One probably aren't going to run on SteamOS. Exactly. So, you know, it completely negates the the reasoning behind it. So you're sat at home, you know, you've got this lovely um, little SteamOS machine well, with a really good spec on it and you're sitting playing indie games because that's all that actually works on it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's not been a, a huge rush to optimise uh, PC games to run on Linux and. I mean, I haven't read into it for a while, but I remember when they first came out, a lot of the games that were optimised to run on, on Linux were not running particularly well. So, um, yeah. Well, a failed experiment. Yeah. Uh, so here's some uh, an update
4: on our game giveaway promotion. Yes, um, we still have 50 plus games in total to give away on Steam. And as we've previously said, all listeners need to do is go to the Google Doc link in either the show notes uh, via Podbean or the blog or and put their Twitter handle or email address beside any of the games they want. Um, Obviously, within reason, we'll want to try and be fair. We've handed out a couple of games so far. But as I say, there's still plenty there. And uh, it's on a first-come, 1st first serve basis, and we'll quite happily send out the links about once a week or so um, once people actually put start putting them in. So please, we are trying to give away games. Please take <laughs> some. Please. Uh, we hope if, to keep if this. If you don't, I will. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah, Mark, Mark will take them all. He's suddenly rediscovered steam, and he will take them all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we hope to keep this running throughout the year, and uh, we'll hopefully add more codes um, as we get them. Uh, so, if any listeners have any duplicate codes that they wish to need, um, usually through bundles and things, everybody you end up with um, duplicate codes here and there. Uh, we will happily add them onto the list and uh, pass them on to other listeners and give appropriate outs. Um, so if needs be you can email us or DM the at gamer twitter feed uh, for more details if you really want them as well.
2: We've got a few shout-outs. Uh, first of all I'd like to uh, give a little shout out to the guys over at the We're Not Wizards podcast uh, for their Twitter feed, at We're Not Wizards. Uh, they're a podcast about all things board game, RPG, and card. And they've been saying some very nice things about us on Twitter uh, and showing a lot of support and uh, and uh, driving new listeners our way. So uh, thanks very much to them. And uh, make sure, if you never heard that podcast, to download and give it a listen. If you've ever been interested in, in board games or or card games or anything like that, then definitely check them out. Uh, I would also like to say thanks to uh, at HearthCoreCast and at the underscore juice underscore Jones for helping us sort out some problems with our Podbean RSS f- uh, recently. Uh, the latest of our long line <laughs> of technical <laughs> issues. <laughs> that really got
3: us out of a bind on Saturday night. That was brilliant. Yeah.
2: So thanks very much to those guys for that. Uh, I would also like to say thanks to at Welsh Benno, uh, who's uh, given us a massive thank you uh, for the effort we put into the show. Uh, when we messaged out early asking questions, he said, No questions. Just a massive thank you for the effort <laughs> that you guys put into the show. Absolutely fantastic podcast. So thanks very much, Tim, for saying that. That uh, makes it okay. worth it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you've got any feedback that you'd like to send our way, then, then don't be shy. Just tweet at us or email us or leave a comment in the Facebook group or send a carrier pigeon, any, any way, smoke signals, uh, any way you'd like to get some messages to us or any feedback, then definitely do that. I was gonna say do you want to give a massive
4: shout out to all the naked women that seem to be liking and following <laughs> oh, yeah. us recently?
2: Yeah. Uh also a quick shout out to uh all the um naked women who have started following us on Twitter. Um Lee has been personally checking them to make sure that they're not bots. Uh <laughs> we don't know where they're coming from, but apparently we were attracting a lot of naked female fans. Yeah, we were talking earlier actually about how um We've got quite a large group of people now who like to contribute to the show, but we're all distinctly male and white. Um, so middle aged, <laughs> and and well, speak for yourself. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but like, yeah, we'd love to get some some uh, some more voices on there. So if, if you've got a, you know a different cultural perspective when it comes to games, or uh, or any ladies out there who are into games who'd like to, to come on on the show, then you're more than welcome. Just get in contact with us. A quick reminder: our next playlist game is the excellent Wolf Among Us Season One from uh, Telltale Games. It's been in various sales on uh, on the PlayStation platforms, and I dare say it's probably been cheap on, on other platforms as well. You can probably pick it up for pittance on, on Steam or uh, whatever other platforms it's on. It's on pretty much everything, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it's pretty cheap second-hand as well now. You can pick it up for virtually nothing.
2: Yeah, and it is fantastic. No, Not to give any spoilers away from when we do the show, but it, no, is, it is great. It's my favourite of the Telltale games yep. by uh, quite a long way. So uh, get hold of it, give it a play and let us know your thoughts on the game in time for our dedicated episode recording uh, in the weeks to come. Uh, we're also going to be covering the first few issues of the Fables comic series as well. So if you've ever read any of the Fables comics, um, or if you haven't read any of the Fables comics uh, and you can get hold of the, the first collection reasonably cheap, then I'd, I'd recommend giving that a read as well so you can get involved in that discussion. So, uh, you can get in contact with us, uh, send us questions, suggestions for new segments you'd like us to start doing, uh, any comments you'd like to give on what we're already doing that you like or don't like, or anything you'd like us to read out on the show. And you can email those to lapsgamerradio at gmail.com. You can visit the LGR blog, that's lapsedgamerradio.blogspot.co.uk. uk. Uh, you can reach us via Twitter at lapsedgamer. And you can like our Laps Gamer Radio Facebook page and add yourself to the LGR Community Facebook group where there's always a healthy discussion. Uh, you can find all of our podcast episodes to stream or mp3 download at our Podbean web address. That's lapsgamerradio.podbean.com. Uh, also, please be so kind as to subscribe and review Laps Gamer Radio on iTunes. And you can check out our Lapse Gamer YouTube channel for additional content. I've got, I've already put some Overwatch stuff up there. There will be more. And I'm going to try and upload some uh, Hitman footage as well. Uh, with some little bits and some of the. Kev, you, you said you've got a plan for some of those levels. Possible future video content for the YouTube channel.
3: Yes, all will be revealed eventually. Ooh, mysteries, mysteries. <laughs>
2: And of course, we'd like to say thanks for Ryan for uh, joining us on the show today. It's uh, great to have you on again, and uh, we'd love to have you back again sometime soon. Absolutely. Well, I um, very much appreciated
1: uh, being invited back on. And, you know, I've been chatting with you guys since the show's very first episode. And so it's it, it's yeah. really, it's it, it's impressive to see what the show's become because it has really kind of blossomed and, and grown into its own thing, which is wonderful.
0: Oh,
2: thank you very much. And yeah, we'll have you on again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. So, all that's left to say is uh, thanks very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.
3: Bye. Bye. Tura. <laughs>